Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs, and you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants form stronger ties within and across communities. This is a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Awesome Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two great ways to feel good this summer. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. So today on the show, where we typically play two stories, we're actually just going to play one story, which is Let There Be Cake. But it's a little bit longer than our typical story. So we're going to go ahead and break it up into two parts. And Allison, it was, it was your decision to include this story. What, what drew you to this one? Yeah, so first of all, I'd like to say welcome to our guest today, Liz Werfel, co-director of the Welcome Project. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Uh, Liz is also our producer for the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. And it's Pride Month. Yay! So that was the reason that I was drawn to Let There Be Cake. Um, It's one of the most recent of our LGBTQ stories to be posted to the website. So I thought it would be a a good opportunity to share that with a wider audience through the radio show and the podcast. And I think it'll also be just a good launching point um, for the four of us, both to engage with the storyteller and what they have to say, but also to use it as a way to think about our own experiences as queer folk And I'd love to know, you know, like, how do people relate to Pride as an actual month or like as a festival um, or as a parade? So maybe that will be able to come up today too then. So should we go ahead and launch into the story then? Yeah, let's do it. And this story was produced by Lisa Zandi. I grew up in Crown Point, Indiana, born and raised. I was in a weird area of Crown Point where I had a Crown Point address, but went to the Maryville School District. I had a group of friends that it, they just ranged from really, really nerdy people <laughs> to like more typically popular kids too. I was in every group and I got along with different people because I was kind of the class clown as well and was talkative in that, in that way. So people liked me for that. But it was also being a bigger kid, you know, at the time not really knowing it, but being a different kid of being like being a gay kid. I didn't actually come out as a homosexual until college. When people would ask, it's like, well, you know, I'm bi or something like that. I think that was more socially acceptable. But in in high school, I think it was definitely something you just don't talk about it. I will say that, you know, Maryville is a little bit more of a liberal school, but there were people that were targeted. When first coming out, it was very frightening, especially with your parents, because being a parent is supposed to be like unconditional love. No matter what you do, you'll always be my child. That's not always the case. And I grew up in a very predominantly Roman Catholic upbringing. So coming out to them was a little bit weird because I wasn't sure what to expect. And I was just hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. But it was it was surprising to me a little bit more so my dad's reaction to it than my mom's. 
and he just kind of was like, well, I always thought he was in high school, but I thought he'd grow out of it. And that was, that was the only statement he really made. My dad is a little bit more, I think, I hate to use the term worldly than my mom, but I think she took it as more of like, what did she do wrong? In college, when I eventually came out and admitted to myself that I was gay, I went back to school to help out my theater teacher with something. Imagine that, being a theater and being a homosexual. That doesn't happen very often. So <laughs> there was these two boys holding hands, these two girls holding hands. I was just like, what's going on here? It's like, oh, no, we're gay, we're this, we're this. I'm like, this is literally, what, 2000 just came, and all of a sudden you guys can do whatever the hell you want. And I was a little bit pissed, but also like, kind of like, okay, that's kind of cool. My college experience was vastly different because I went to a private Catholic school as opposed to a public school. And I was targeted there too. Once I came out, there was numerous times that there was stuff written on my whiteboard. There were some like verbal assaults on things, but I'm a, I'm a bigger guy and I, I like I can handle myself. So like people wouldn't necessarily say it to my face, but I would hear it. And then the brave people that would drive past and say stuff out the window. There was a couple of occasions where there was some physical things, but nothing really too extreme that I would I had to like report it or felt like I needed to leave. I've never been the kind of person to back down from confrontation, but I'm also not a confrontational person physically. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, and you're here with me, Allison Schutte, Willa Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs, and today our very special guest, co-director of the Welcome Project, producer of the podcast, Liz Werfel. Mm. Happy Pride, everybody. So today's story is in celebration of this month of June when all our colors get to fly and our flags unfurl. Um, I wonder, uh, Reagan, what stood out to you in this particular storyteller's first part of um, their journey? Um, definitely the, um, it's literally what, 2000 just came and all of a sudden you can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, just because uh, I was very involved in like my high school's GSA. Um, I led it for two years and that's how I figured out, like partially how I figured out I was gay was like this involvement. And I remember having a similar conversation with the teacher support of that like after school club. And she was an older lesbian. She's like, yeah, it is so weird seeing you little little teenagers like being able to hold hands and talk about being gay and trans like in such a public way. And that was never something that I would have even dreamed of at your age. So it's just, it's funny and it stuck out. So. Yeah, I mean, I would say that also was really funny, especially like, <laughs> like theater kids, they're gay, who expected that? <laughs> but I mean, I, I hear a lot of things that sound really familiar to me, like growing up in like a Catholic school and not, I don't know, feeling super comfortable with people or, you know, being okay with being the class clown, but not when it means like, you know, people are targeting you, even though he didn't come out until college. But I don't know, I'm hearing a lot of similarities between his story and like stories I hear in Balbo. Yeah, I wonder, Liz, for you, you've, you're more familiar with this story than any of us, because I know you've worked with Lisa on this. Did anything stand out to you from this first part of their story? Yeah, I think the uh, experience of coming out to his parents, um, I mean, reminded me of, I, I have a different coming out story with my parents, but the 
kind of expecting the worst. I don't think I hoped for the best. Uh, I think I just probably expected the worst. Uh, so, uh, you know, the way he describes it, I'm sure there's more to it, but it uh, seemed like an experience that actually wasn't the worst, um, wasn't the best, but wasn't the worst. And so I wonder with more questions around that part, what, what else we would learn from, particularly around the, the mom mm -hmm. who took it like she did something wrong, which I'm pretty sure my ex parents experienced too. Yeah, so what maybe did that look like between the two of them? How did it impact their relationship? And did it become something that changed over time? Or was it something that was kind of permanent then? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we don't get to really hear about that. I don't know for you all, I have such a hard time with the term homosexual. <laughs> and I, in part, I'm sure it's because we use the word queer so freely now, at least when I say we, I definitely mean the four of us. I, I even think like at a university setting um, of, of Valparaiso University, it's pretty typical to use that word. I don't know that all students feel very comfortable with it, but certainly it seems like most students who identify in the queer community feel very comfortable with it. And so homosexual, <laughs> homosexuality, there's something so clinical about it. Like I wouldn't want to come out as a homosexual. <laughs> it just sounds like such a strange identity. And maybe this is part of the story that you noted, Reagan, where it's like, you know, 2000 comes around and like suddenly everything has changed. Um, but it makes me wonder if some of the difficulty of coming out maybe more culturally or even like to yourself has to do with the fact that the language was so alienating. Um, anyway, so that just really stood out to me. Uh, it's, I, I would find it a lot easier to say, oh, I'm bi than I'm a homosexual. <laughs> Especially when you say it that way. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm exaggerating it now, but that's fair. <laughs> I wonder, um, okay, so those are our initial thoughts that came up here. Are there other things that we're noticing? He mentions a few times that he's a bigger guy. I don't exactly know what that means, if it's weight, if it's height, if it's stature. Um, he also talks about, I think, Willow, you brought this up, you know, being the class clown. And it, I, I got the impression, at least, that that was a way to get along with everybody because he says that a lot of different people liked him. Um, so I'm wondering, is there anything that you all are, are hearing in this continuing to bring up, I'm, I'm a bigger guy? It, later, it's like, I look like I can handle myself. What do you think he might be telling us there or getting at, hinting at? For me, it's like, it sounds like he's already sort of establishing that even before he came out as gay, that he like felt like an outsider among his peers. And so, I mean, that's kind of what I'm hearing from it. I also think there's the assumption of, I look like I can handle myself. I was always the class clown. Like there's an assumption of one, like some kind of physical like prowess, but also just like a tough skinnedness, maybe like a, the ability to kind of like take an emotional or like a, a physical like beating a little bit, especially when it comes to dealing with how this speaker feels like he is perceived in the world or at least perceived in the world as a young adult. 
And there, there seems to be a, a kind of way in which the physicality, his physicality means that people aren't aggressive with him in a particular way. They're aggressive in all the other ways, which is as verbal assaults and maybe a little bit of being pushed around. But I think about folks who don't have that stature who might also encounter more physical abuse just because they're, you know, whoever's abusing them is not going to feel like they're going to be able to give it back to them. You know, I wonder um, if I, now I'm, I, now I'm interpreting if he's using some of that sense of his size to downplay how painful some of this was. I, th- I think it's ironic when he says the brave people that would drive past and say stuff out the window. Oh, yeah. That's um, sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. And then there were some physical things, but nothing too extreme like that I had to report or felt like I needed to leave. That sounds like it's, <laughs> that sounds like there's some really painful stuff there that he might actually be, what's the word when we try to make other people feel comfortable, even though there's a problem going on? Like, I just feel like he's downplaying a little bit of how difficult this was. And I don't know, maybe because it was a private Catholic school, he it feels like it's acceptable in some sense because Catholicism itself has not been (laughs) like really out and out supportive of the queer community. He does say he was targeted in both places though. He was targeted there too. I mean what it's reminding me of is like maybe the sort of like expectation versus reality of like how outsiders see you needing to react I don't know, instances of like verbal hate speech versus like how we actually react to it. I remember being at a, um, what's it called? The, yeah, Human Relations Council. And somebody was talking about their experience. Somebody in the audience was talking about their experience of like how like people have treated them differently in a restaurant or have given them a side eye in the grocery store or something. And like this straight guy in the audience is like, why don't you just report it? Why don't you just report it to that? You know, we have the human rights ordinance. It's like, I hear you, but also like, you obviously don't understand like how much of this we take. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to, A, I'm not going to report all of the different things. And B, it's like, I don't even feel like it would do anything, but it's just like, I don't know. I think you get like used to sort of like taking in a certain amount of flack from people. I think it's something we've also talked about before in the context of queerness and in the context of what we look like this <laughs> most of us have like you know we're dyed hair alternative in appearance present more masculinely or femininely like whatever like but maybe clearly queer to others um and if not clearly clear like we're clearly queer then <laughs> definitely um queerly this is what is happening now <laughs> but that we we stand out and it, sometimes it, you know in a way that is um talkable by the public and I've talked about and I know Willow and Allison have talked about people feeling like it is appropriate to come up to you and say very personal things about your parents again particularly like religious men or like getting you know followed around in a store by somebody who feels like you're ruining your body like or you're a very lovely girl, why are you with another girl? Like, you know, these these things happen, but what are you gonna do? Go up to somebody and be like, oh, 
he was just staring at me a lot. It made me really uncomfortable. That doesn't sound like very much, even though it feels like very much. This is WVLP 103.1 FM, and you're listening to Listen Up with me, Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, Reagan Skaggs, and today our guest, Liz Werfel. And we are talking about a story called Let There Be Cake because it's Pride Month. And this storyteller is, um, for this first part of his story, reminding or remembering um, growing up in Crown Point, going to the Maryville High School, and then going to a private um, Catholic university and kind of thinking through some of the challenges of that experience, both with his peers, but also with himself. Um, He tells us he didn't come out officially until he uh, went to college and admitted to myself that I was gay. I wonder if, I mean, we can come back into his story in any way you all would like, but um, do you have a moment of coming out that you'd be willing to share that has to do either with high school peers or self or family? And maybe, uh, Willa, we can start with you. Yeah, I mean, the first time I came out, I mean, I think you come out to yourself first because I think you're like, I don't know, there's no like guidance as like a teenager of like what that experience is supposed to look like or feel like. I mean, there is, but we don't always have like access to it. So I just remember I had to come out to myself and then I came out to my boyfriend at the time who, when I came out to him, he also came out to me and I saw him at Ikea last weekend with his boyfriend. Great. But um, so there was that and then coming out to my dad was like, it was so mundane because I try to avoid the conversation because it's painful. So it's just, I don't know, it's awkward. But so I don't know, I remember telling him like, yeah, I'm on Erica's insurance. He's like, you're on your roommate's insurance. Like, yeah, dad, I'm gay. Are you happy now? I said it out loud. (laughs) And he said he cried at his desk at work in a good way. <laughs> Wait, is it because you had finally said it to him? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He knew, but <laughs> Reagan. He was he would be prodding you, right? He's a prodder. Yeah. And he's a reporter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this lady you've lived with for three years. <laughs> Just your friend in the one bedroom with the one bed, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> really so um, you know, like again, the coming out to yourself thing. I met my first like queer friends in high school and one of them dragged me to GSA and I became a very enthusiastic ally like very enthusiastic (laughs) I was like upset I read like all the books I could find about like LGBT history and like which was not very many in my very small town um but I was just like picking up stuff and like reading stuff and just like constantly obsessive about it and then literally a girl that I don't even know now hugged me in a hallway and I said oh there's context for this, for this obsession that I've been having with like the LGBT community and why I felt so like connected and emotional about like the history and the like social context. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So um, that happened. I had that realization. And then I went home not that long after. I also had a boyfriend at the time. He did not take it well, understandably. And uh, that happened. And then I went home to my mom and I said, just so you know, because I was no longer talking to my dad at this point. So that has never been a concern. 
Um, and I came out to my mom. She laughed at me, said that I, she knew, um, <laughs> which has mostly been good. Sometimes like there's some clear discomfort there for her. And she'll like, I think she forgets that I'm gay sometimes. Um, so she'll make a reference to like a boy, um, but she's getting there. So she's mostly okay with it. She just, she sometimes has a, has a moment. But yeah, so I came out to my mother and then all my friends know, I've like socially know, but then a weird situation where my dad's side of the family does not know, but also they do kind of know. I think it's kind of like Willow's dad, except they're just not proud and they were respectfully looking the other way, which is enough, honestly. So that's fine. So to be clear for both of you, coming out happened in high school? Yeah, mine was sophomore year. Oh, it was senior year for me in 2015. Did social media play any role for you in your awareness of the LGBTQ community and your and your what it meant to come out? Um, I mean, for me, a hundred percent. Like we went to Pride for the first time in June of 2015, and that was the month that gay marriage was legalized, and so it was so good. And we were just gay, and I don't know. It's like you know, it's like it it means something to sort of like look online and see a bunch of like pride flags or to see people like supporting you because then it just, even if in your immediate environment, you don't feel that support, you know that there's a larger community out there that supports you. I also remember this song that came out in like 2013, 20, was it like 2013? <laughs> I'm not gonna sing it, but you know, it's just like, I can't change even if I Not try. was gay but I was one of the last people in my friend group to kind of figure things out um so I had like a fair amount of like gay and trans friends like middle school forward but I also I didn't feel comfortable on most social medias that like associated your face um or your actual name with like your online presence probably because I was a sad gay teenager and I wanted to be a sad gay teenager on my own <laughs> so I was really interested in this platform called Tumblr. I still kind of am on it, but it's it's like a microblogging platform where so you don't have to have your actual picture. Everybody uses a username. So I was really active on there and I learned too much <laughs> on that particular platform. And like that was a lot of my exposure to like additional gay history and like culture, particularly like lesbian culture, um, just because even in the now times, I think it's sometimes a little harder. Um, like I, I work at a place with a lot of like younger than me gay adults and like they just, what I know versus like what they know in regards to like LGBT, like pop culture history, like in regards especially to like lesbian stuff is just very different. So that think being able to see myself in that context was very much provided by social media more than anything, I would say. How about you? Well, it might be worth stating again that my generation is very different <laughs> than Willow and Reagan's. I'm in my 50s and you all are in your 20s. And I don't know, Liz, like you're still old enough that <laughs> social media was not a part of your 
high school or yeah. college life. So I guess in that sense, we can speak. I from still the same. remember the AOL email <laughs> login sounds. So. And the modem yeah. dial up. Yes. Anyway, <clears throat> I don't necessarily have a coming out story similar to the two of you. Um, I don't necessarily know that it has to do with the fact that there was less cultural awareness of being gay, although that was definitely true. Like I came, like I grew up in the eighties for high school and I like have very, very vague recollections of like a few students, maybe people would say like, do you think he's gay? And then like, they'd whisper it kind of thing. Um, and it just didn't ha it just didn't happen that much and or it wasn't talked about that much now it could also be like who i was hanging out with maybe it was talked about in other places than the circles that i was in um and i i i knew that homosexuality i mean that was the language that was used i knew homosexuality was a sin but like when i try to think back to how did i know that i'm not 100% sure because it's not like my church was talking about it explicitly all the time. I think I've said on this show that there was some way in my mind that homosexuals were actually not fully human. Like I didn't understand that consciously at the time, but when I really met um, and had my first lesbian friend whose name also happened to be Allison and who was similar to me in so many other ways. I was like, this person is fully human. <laughs> I mean, it's just absurd how we reduce people um, by, by means of categories. Uh, there's something stronger that needs to be said about that. And I, I don't quite know how to articulate it. So um, in some ways, like I didn't even have on my radar to think about my own sexuality or sexual identity as something other than being straight in high school. So it really wasn't until really after college even, I definitely had um, some gay friends in college. I was a part of a sit-in at Kretzman Hall for the, um, it wasn't Alliance at the time. It was Gala was the name, the Gay and Lesbian Association. That was the name of the student org on, at Valpo's campus at the time. And they, they didn't even, um, like they, they weren't recognized by Senate or anything like that. So it was like the sit-in to try to get the recognition of student Senate. Um, and that is what led to Hari's white paper, which I don't know that we've ever talked about on this show, but you read it recently, oh, right, Liz? <laughs> I mean, it was, it is painful to read. And it was the president's way at that time of helping alumni and board members make sense of why it was going to be allowed that Gala could be a recognized student organization. But the justifications he made in order to do it, of course, are extremely painful for anybody who's in the, the community. Um, so, but anyway, to like my own coming out, it really didn't happen in college. It didn't even happen until, um, yeah, after I had graduated and I had a lot more close gay and lesbian friends. And I just started 
wondering about it. There was more like a, I became really interested in radical feminism. And so there was a political element to like, it would be politically good if you were not straight. (laughs) But I don't know. I don't know if I ever actually had a coming out. I mean, I feel like meeting Liz and coming into relationship with Liz has been like, if I had to point at something, um, but that happened when I was in my 30, late thirties, early forties. So adult identity is already established in a way that doesn't make, when I hear people talk like this storyteller about their coming out experience, my own, like it, it's not like this, um, discovery claim it's more like a just opening to a reality of how complicated identity is and like my understanding of being attracted and then falling in love with Liz (laughs) was that was its own thing it didn't have so much to I mean how can you separate it from identity um I don't know I don't know how to talk about it that more than that. It's very messy. I understand there, but it didn't, I guess it doesn't have these like clear defining points that I often hear in people's coming out stories. Um, we're going to just pause to do a station break here and then, um, we'll get back to this topic. So this is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso community supported radio also streaming live from WVLP.org. We at the station rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. So please consider supporting this station and therefore our show by visiting the website wvlp.org backslash support. Donations are tax deductible and we would sure appreciate it. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. And today, our guest, Liz Werfel. And as it is Pride Month, we are talking about all things rainbow. And before the station break, we had each been sharing our coming out stories. And Liz, are you comfortable? Would you care to also share? And then we can listen to the second part of our storytellers. I mean, I think like a lot of people, it's an ever happening thing. Uh, So you don't just come out once, I don't think. But Willow, what you had said about the initial kind of coming out to your own self really resonated with me. I I thought that that was an interesting way to kind of think back through my memories of, you know, being in uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, always hanging out with mostly the boys, right? Love, loving all of the flag football and playing in the rain and getting messy and um, really part of the boys crew, especially in middle school. And uh, thinking then a little bit later about like in college before I had kind of really understood who I was, there were a couple of teachers who were just, I mean, they were incredible teachers for one, uh, professors, there was an English professor and a history professor, and I didn't understand it, but I had total crushes on them. And the way in which I think I justified it was an intellectual one, which is like, I want to be you when I grow up, because you are so cool and smart, <laughs> you know your stuff. 
And then, you know, it's kind of late senior year that I understood, um, I think that I was really, or, or came, came to admit that I was attracted to women and, um, and then had my first relationship uh, with, with a woman. So I think it was, you know, it was late, but then thinking back to all of those earlier times of like, oh, you know it. <laughs> uh, but I did, like, it gets into the question of language and, and it's like tomboy is something I think I would still use to describe myself, both in terms of, I mean, if you have to talk about it in terms of sexual orientation or gender identity, like, I feel like tomboy can include both of those in ways that other ways of talking about things don't don't always do queer certainly does too i mean i think not of course not every every tomboy is is gay but um but i think that that was that's a word that i i feel like still holds true in a lot of ways <laughs> Can I ask you a question yeah did you think allison was gay when you first met her well she was married <laughs> oh okay my timeline's fuzzy <laughs> Uh, I, but I was definitely attracted to her. And I, in fact, I was struck speechless. Uh, so our colleague, John, who we love, um, when I first started working at Valparaiso, he, I had an art show and an art opening and, uh, he wanted to come to support me. And I think basically said, Allison, you should come to the art opening and meet. Liz, like the stuff that Liz does, you'll be really interested in and the show sounds interesting or whatever it was, however he described it. So Allison went to the art show and then, I mean, I don't know if you looked very different than you do now. Probably not. I think it was still the, I don't think the blue I had, hair. I don't know if I had the blue hair yet though. Actually. No, it's definitely, oh, well, okay. in my memory anyway. <laughs> you know, memories are so accurate. <laughs> Uh, so just this funky, awesome, cool person who is then asking me very, very like insightful questions about my art, which I, I don't even think I had an answer to. I think literally my jaw just dropped and I was like, what? <laughs> and then, and then that was that because she was married and I was in a relationship and it wasn't until years later that, uh, both of our relationships had ended that we ended up getting together. Over dust bunnies. Dust bunnies. That will be a story for another time. <laughs> we have our listeners keep coming back. Uh, let's go ahead and um, play the second half of, of our storyteller, and then we can find our way back to this, the topic for ourselves as well. I don't understand the experience of other minority groups, but I do understand the experience of being unsure and being scared because you have to come out as being gay, lesbian, bi, transgendered. And even to that point is that you never stop coming out, especially if you present more masculine. It's so polarizing for different people that I don't, I don't if, if you don't understand it, that's fine. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to bring it up. Even to some, some points of like, just not even bringing it up at all. It's like, if it comes out organically in a conversation where I feel comfortable, then I'll talk to you about it. But in the same respect, it's none of your business. And that's how I kind of led the rest of my college life. And even to very recently in my professional life, when I go to a meeting and I say, oh, my husband, I always like grasp my breath to be like, okay, what's going to happen next? What's their facial expression? And I'm constantly looking at them to be like, how are you going to take this? Because there is that, that fear of this person that I'm opening up with. Um, 
of them accept, accepting it or not. My husband is, he's, he's wonderful. We want children, which is very difficult when you don't have a lot of money. Um, it's not unheard of, but it is difficult. We are currently foster parents, which is a mixed bag um, of blessings and curses. And the reason why we decided to do it is one, it's a thousand times cheaper than, than adoption. Um, and they actually want to work with us. A lot of adoption agencies see a gay couple and they won't want to work with you. But also, I think they make it so hard to adopt. And even in the foster care system, they put so many hurdles and things that it gives couples like me and my husband a lot of just a lot of sleepless nights and being upset about it because we have such a want to be parents. But people in this world, people in this neighborhood that we are living in, that would prefer me not to be married to a man right now we're just to have not the same rights as, as every other married couple um or not to call it marriage it's it's like okay but that's what it is i think as you get older things don't get easier you learn more it's about what's important to you and what is and what you just don't care about anymore change comes from taking the time to understand the other side as well and not really um forcing your opinion on someone but listening to why they don't like what you're doing or don't um, understand what you're doing because a lot of it comes out of not understanding or fear which doesn't really make sense because why be afraid of something you don't understand why don't you discover it it's like if I've never eaten cake before <laughs> but I'm, so would I be afraid of cake because I've never eaten it it's like no it's like why not just find out what cake is no one's asking you to try cake <laughs> but if you want to it's available to you so <laughs> that's a weird analogy but you want some cake <laughs> this is listen up welcome project radio on wvlp 103.1 fm and streaming on live at wvlp.org I'm Allison Schutte here with Willa Walsh and Reagan Skaggs and our guest today Liz Werfel and it's Pride Month, so we are talking about stories of coming out and what it means to be um, a, like coupled and a family uh, as LGBTQ folk. So our storyteller at the top of the hour was reflecting on his childhood, and now we get to hear a little bit about what he's experiencing as an adult with his husband as they try to become a family. Um, Reagan, I'm going to start with you again this time for just anything that stood out from this, you know, the second half of his story. Um, adoption always sticks out to me. Um, I, my, I have a family member who technically my chunk of my mom's side of the family is adopted. Um, and I just, every time adoption comes up, I think about that. I think about that as like a gay woman that also wants kids one day um, and also thinks about like fostering or adopting. Um, and like anything else, I just, I'm obsessive about it. So I've been reading too much and watching too much and all this other fun stuff. So I just, I have all these complicated swirly thoughts about adoption, but. When, when you say that you've been researching it and you know too much, um, has anything that you've learned, does it, does it help us better understand some of the challenges maybe he and his husband are facing? Uh I mean, if he's talking about the adoption agency thing, especially if he's in Indiana, it is truly amazing how many adoption agencies are 
so exclusionary and it's not just in regards to queerness um like there's within a lot of like adoption like communities on the internet there's this one very famous screenshot of a facebook post because that's the other thing a lot of adoption agencies work through facebook which is feels insane but they um were a christian organization and they refused to adopt a child out to a jewish couple because they would only want to these children to go to good Christian homes. And it, within the thing, they're saying, oh, this child still needs a home. Um, we are interested in Christian applicants. And then on top of insisting on Christian applicants, they were also excluding certain denominations or um, branches. So like, no Catholics, no Mormons, please. Um, that kind of thing. So like the priorities of a lot of um, private adoption centers are, are not maybe where they should be. And obviously that is legal because they yeah. are private adoption agencies. Yeah, yep, and they you can technically be like a Christian nonprofit um, or a Christian not business but nonprofit for sure, and you can have those rules. Willow, did anything stand out to you from the second half of this story? I really loved when he talked about just how the story started off when he said, "I don't understand the experience of other minority groups, but I do understand the experience of being unsure and being scared," and. I don't know, that just really stayed with me because I think sort of, at least for me, like coming into a gay identity, like that has been integral into like the foundation of how I relate to other people and how I empathize with other people. That's just like a, like a key experience that I keep pulling from because it is like Alice and I have talked about this before. It's just like you like growing up before you realized you're queer, you just sort of other people so much that they don't, they're not a full person anymore. And so once you become a part of that and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm in this community, I'm a full person, I'm normal. Then you realize like how absurd that whole idea of othering people is. And so I think by going through that, it's really easy to understand the absurdities of how other people are othered. And so that really stood out to me. I loved the ending about cake. <laughs> no one's asking you to try cake, but if you want to. <laughs> what is the radio appropriate way to explain the metaphor? But... Uh, there was something I also was drawn to with the, I don't understand the experience of other minority groups. Um, do you all think that other minority groups, so maybe we're talking about say you're Islamic or say you're black or say you have a disability, which is maybe visible or invisible. Are there ways in which groups have to come out in the same way that LGBTQ folk do? Or maybe it's totally case dependent, even for queer folk, like whether you have to come out or not. Um, but I'm struck by whether it is a difference for LGBTQ folk, this coming out thing, but maybe I'm not correctly understanding how other groups. I mean, you, you all have talked about it a little bit before with the story around the hijab and the woman who has decided at least at this point not to wear it. And that feeling like if she were to wear the hijab that then people would just assume this thing about her that may you know may be true but may not be the thing that she wants to i think it's similar to being outed because of how you appear uh, and so 
she will have to, in fact, she'll get, she'll get to choose when she outs herself in terms of her religion because she's not wearing this identifier in the same way, which I think works in some ways like religion. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's a people who have actually written about uh, either the intersection of religion and uh, kind of LGBT coming out and then the way in which it's also different in terms of, I think the, uh, some people would say I was born into my religion and that is who I am. And other people would say I was born into my sexuality and that is who I am. And, and I think there would be contention around both of those uh, ways of, of, of understanding human nature. But I do, I do feel like with some underrepresented folks there, the coming out is still part of that. Certainly, I mean, I'm thinking even about the story you all talked about last, mm-hmm. last time where she passes, she's white passing, but is Mexican-American. And so I'm guessing she has and will continue to experience having to come out as, you know, recognizing that part of herself and who she tells that to and who she doesn't. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting story because just based on the snapshot we had of the edited story, I feel like there were ways in which she was not wanting to claim ethnic identity. And so that's also interesting to think about um, that just because we have the ability, and that's a weird kind of word, (laughs) to identify with a group, whether it's racial, religious, disability, um, sexuality, et cetera, like sometimes we choose not to, and then we try not to come out. Or like we try to not be in situations where we have to come out. I'm probably oversimplifying it. Well, I, th- I feel like there, you know, we've interviewed people before who don't particularly like to categorize themselves. Yeah. And think that, I mean, I'm remembering a story with, um, we haven't edited this one yet, but an interview with a historian who talked about feeling like, other people wanted him to claim his, uh, his, as being Latino. And he was really pushing against that for a long time and ultimately did, but did because he, he, he came to understand that there's political power that comes with it and basically organizing power solidarity in ways that if you are minoritized, you may need to band together in order to kind of get equal rights, for example. Uh, but but I think, I mean, I remember he was still very hesitant about the fact that he had to make that choice as opposed to saying, can I just be who I am without mm-hmm. being categorized? Uh, so I don't know. I, I certainly experienced that. Like I'm not a fan of categories. <laughs> I mean, I think we hear that in the storyteller too, that there are places where he says, um, he's talking about how polarizing it is. And so some people don't understand um, sexual orientation or what it means to be gay. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm, I'm going to bring it up even to some points of like not bringing it up at all. So if it comes up organically and I feel comfortable, then I'll talk about it. But in some respects, it's none of your business. And I do think, I mean, it's interesting. This is big true of not just sexual identity, but any of our identity categories, there are times when We just want to be our full selves and like, we don't need to have labels for that because we 
experience ourselves and all of our intersectionality as just like a whole person. And then there are other times when there's great pleasure in identifying with some of our um, demographic features, whether it's for solidarity or celebration, um, just something that we really appreciate about that part of our identity that we've learned because we have been that identity, especially in a culture then maybe that um, doesn't accept it. It doesn't accept it. Yeah. Willow and Reagan, I'm interested if you want to go in this direction to hear what you think about uh, claiming the identity and when you embrace it and when you resist it and why. Okay. So I have really complicated, not complicated, I have a few different thought processes, processes, whatever, um, about coming out and the politics of coming out. So you know, when I look at like movements from the 70s and 80s in particular, like coming out, there was such an emphasis on it and rightfully so uh, because a lot of the things that we are all talking about, especially like Allison and Willow mentioned, not being able to understand gay people as fully human um, in the beginning of your understanding of things because of a lack of knowing and seeing and understanding gay people or LGBT folks. Um, so coming out is a very powerful tool. And I think for certain um, demographics within the LGBT community, it is a more powerful tool um, than for other folks, um, especially at this point in time. Like I think primarily of um, the trans people that like we know and love and the battles and contention with coming out that they are still facing that looks like what I remember or have been told about like the night coming out in the 90s and 2000s as like a gay person. So it's it's different struggles. Um, and of course is very beneficial to see trans people thriving in that way and open, being open and thriving. Um, but at the same time, I think that there, there's a important conversation happening right now about coming out and then what that means to come out in as whatever, um, with especially again within like disability activist spaces right now. Coming out without the support of um, other demographics to make that coming out safe. So I've seen that conversation in regards to, okay, so you want people of color to come to your organization and come to your meetings and be a part of whatever thing that you are doing, but are you making a safe and appropriate space for the demographic that you are trying to get to come to your things? Are, are you making sure that they are comfortable and safe as much as you reasonably can? Um, so I've been thinking about that a lot recently, especially living in Indiana, which is a place that doesn't recognize like LGBT hate crimes, um, what it means to be safe in a space or safe in a, a certain state or government and how that reflects or impacts personal choice. I feel like mine is like, it, it depends, like in terms of like when I decide to come out and when I decide not to come out, it's like, it gets like three factors it's if I'm tired, I'm probably not going to do it. <laughs> uh, if I if I feel unsafe, I'm probably not going to do it. Or if I'm feeling just really combative that day, I'm probably really more likely to do it. So like, I don't know, usually it's like, I don't know, you just have to come out so often and in front of so many people. And so it makes you sort of like hyper aware and hyper like focused into how people are going to like take it or... I don't, it's just kind of exhausting you know it's like you it's like I don't know about you guys but like I don't know if you ever just like meet a new person who you don't know how they stand politically and you're just like oh yeah my partner she's you know and it's just like if you're 
or do you ever do that in that space and are not aware of it? Because I don't know, I feel like I'm always aware of it because I feel like I know as soon as I use the language, I've outed myself. And so it's just like, I don't know, it's just sort of an exhausting thing. But I think if you do feel really safe, um, it's always important to come out when you can for the people that are around you. So, I mean, I was just going through like this month trying to figure out what it means to be a good ally. And I was thinking more about like, you know, come out if you can, uh, have a pride sticker, have a pride flag, use your pronouns in your email signature or at a meeting. Like the more, the more visible you can make yourself in a place like Indiana and you feel safe doing so, the, the, the more that you can make somebody else feel safe. And so that's usually the, the line that I follow. But I don't know, sometimes I'm tired and somebody is like, oh, is that your sister? Is that your best friend? Is that your cousin? Is that your roommate? <sighs> we should start um, when people are like, when straight people are like, yeah. oh, this is my wife. Just be like, wait, you're straight? <laughs> Yes. Oh, you're yes. oh, oh, that's okay. I'm totally okay with it. <laughs> I don't really. I, I don't please. Like I don't my, like, like. Don't say that when my children are around. Like that lifestyle. <laughs> like it, you're fine, but like the lifestyle. <laughs> can you can you just keep that to yourself? <laughs> it makes me really uncomfortable if I think about it for more than two seconds. However, when I need to win an argument, I will be bringing up that I know you. <laughs> <laughs> This is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, and you're listening to Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, Reagan Skaggs, and today our guest, Liz Werfel. It's Pride Month, so we are talking about what it's like to come out when we want to do it, when we don't want to do it, <laughs> and even just when we actively claim the identity or just allow it to be a part of our natural full selves and don't explicitly think about it. I heard that a little bit in your question to Liz, or were you mostly just interested in coming out? Like for you, is there more to say about when you want to think of yourself within the queer community or you always think of yourself from the queer community? I mean, I don't know that I always think about myself. I mean, there's just like, am I thinking about it all the time? I don't think so. Um, but it becomes apparent sometimes, right? Like in particular spaces, I, mean, I think about, I, I, it would be interesting to have Greg Jones or someone else on the show to talk about, you know, is the experience of being black one that, you know, every moment of your life or is it you walk into a space and it's mm -hmm. af affirmed or told to you in a certain way. And I'm guessing there's a, a kind of a combination of those things, right? Like I know myself as a queer person, but do a, it becomes more pronounced when I enter into certain spaces and am either uh, accepted as my full full self, which happens pretty rarely in Indiana, or um, when I'm kind of feel like I, I'm not in a safe safe enough space to be that full self. I, I think I think a lot of people, a lot of straight people, don't get that. Um, just like I'm sure a lot of white people don't get that when it comes to not being white in this community. Yeah, I feel like I've fallen into that trap of assuming that Black folk are always thinking about their Blackness <laughs> and have probably inadvertently, I don't know, like I'm listening to an album or something by a Black musician. And so I'm like, 
ooh, this is like amazing. This is an incredible album. I'm going to share it with all my black friends to see if they're already listening to it. You know, like that kind of like association with it's black music. So black people must be liking this. Like, I think I do that um, too much actually in ways that's that I'm trying to catch myself and unlearn. And I think it has to do with the fact that there's this assumption that when you're not the marginalized group, you think they must always be conscious of their own identity as that that group. I wonder what you all make of the last bit of the story right before the cake analogy where um, the storyteller talks about listening to the other side to understand why they don't like what you're doing or don't understand what you're doing. And the storyteller quickly kind of turns it into like, why are we afraid of things that we don't understand? Which I think is interesting. We could talk about that too, but I feel like it's always important when we have an opportunity to think about and reflect on, is it important to be listening to why people don't understand what you're doing? And I, and Willow's like, no. So say more about that, Willow. And I don't even know what, like, what's the understanding that's going on here too? That's maybe part of it. I don't know. I take this statement like a couple of different ways. Like A, it's like, is us not being so polarized in these conversations and taking the time to actively listen and respond to one another? Like, is that a good people conversation thing to do? Yes, but also, okay, like I'm queer and I and I feel like I've heard it all and I, and I don't need to listen to like why you think it's not okay. Like we get it, Karen, you don't like it. I don't care. Like just don't post about it on Facebook. I don't, I don't want to listen to it. I mean, I, I, I have the empathy there and I can understand why people feel the way that they do. Even when I talk to people who have like different political takes than me, not on the far side, but you know, slightly land slightly different on the spectrum than me. It's like you hear some life experiences and and it makes so much sense why they believe what they do. And so I are I like I know that because of the way you grew up, the experiences that you've had what you've been told in your context has led you to believe this certain amount of things about queer people. I get that, but also I don't want to hear it. I've heard it a bunch of times. I don't feel like it's my job to understand where you're coming from and, and, and you know, create the perfect counter argument as to why you should support queer people because I don't feel like that works or that helps. And that personally shouldn't be our priority. I think it's just about rallying the community together versus trying to understand why someone's hateful. But here's the thing. <sighs> I know. I know. It does work. <laughs> the studies that show it does work. Like 2015, legalization of gay marriage, which is not the end all be all of um, gay rights. I'd love to be able to work in that will state and not worried about um, you know getting fired for being gay because that's not protected in Indiana. <laughs> that would be very fun for me and a lot of other people in a lot of other states. Let's get some federal work protections and that'd be great. Um, but one of the big things that helped um, canvassers get more votes in favor of gay marriage is something called deep canvassing, which is going to the same people that do not agree with you over and over again and listening and having conversations about the thing that you are. And obviously that is awful. That is terrible, awful, no good work that nobody wants to do. And it's not that you have to do it all the time. You, I, people of color, whatever demographic you are in, you are not, you should not feel obligated to do that, especially not all the time. You are not on all the time. You are a human person first. You do not need to be an educator just because you are of a certain demographic. That's nonsensical. That could be ally work. It can be ally Allies, work. Step up, do it for <laughs> us. Listen to the hateful people so 
but also there is something very powerful, just like you were talking about, and Allison specifically mentioned, of meeting that first gay person, realizing like whatever that they are a full human being and being able to move forward from there. And again, that's not work for everybody, and it's not work that should be expected of everybody, but it does, it does work. Before we head out today, please check out WVLP's full schedule at WVLP.org. We highly recommend Morning Black, which airs live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m., Thursdays at 2, and Fridays at 9. Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge focuses on the concerns and issues that impact underrepresented communities of color with a particular interest in the African-American communities. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are also open for business at their locations downtown on Lincoln Way. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. Kelly and Michael Morocco, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.belpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And before we end today, just a huge thank you to Liz Werfel for joining us today. It was a real treat to have you. <laughs> you can, if you'd like to support us, you can go to wvlp.org support. Happy Pride.